Welcome to the Jacksonville Bar Association podcast. My name is Craig Shoup. I'm the executive director here at the Jacksonville Bar. Today, we're excited to have Sarah Morris with us. Sarah is a death penalty defense attorney at the Office of Criminal, Conflict, and Civil Regional Counsel for the first DCA. She's a 2015 Florida Coastal School of Law graduate. For the 2022-2023 year, she is a ex-officio member of the Florida Bar Young Lawyers Division Board of Governors, and she's also a member of the Jacksonville Bar Association's Young Lawyers Section Board of Governors. So before we get into our conversation with Sarah, though, we do have a quick message from one of our sponsors. Hi, I'm Julie Roundtree from Divorce Coaching Solutions. As a certified divorce coach, I help men and women who are simply overwhelmed by the divorce process and feeling helpless, emotional, and anxious. During our sessions, I provide them with the support they need to create clarity, confidence, and the ability to move forward with grace. If you are a family law practitioner, we also offer coaching packages to your clients where your clients can have easy access to a divorce coach when they're feeling overwhelmed and they can schedule their sessions right on our website. Let your team focus on the legal work and save the emotional part for us. Distinguish your firm by offering divorce coaching and you'll see why we are the missing piece of the divorce puzzle. Divorce Coaching Solutions is reinventing the divorce experience for family law firms and their clients. Please visit our website at mydivorcecoaches.com or call me, Julie Roundtree, at 904-274-6611. A big thank you to all of our partners uh, here at the Jacksonville Bar Association. So after all that, Sarah, welcome. We're glad you stopped in with us today. Hi, Craig. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Well, that's great. So tell everybody a little bit about you and what brought you the law into Jacksonville. Yeah, so I grew up between Alabama and Mississippi. Um, I moved to Florida to attend law school and really enjoyed it so much so that I stayed here. I took the bar here and I've been practicing in Florida ever since. I started my career actually over in the Seventh Circuit in St. John's County and then to Putnam and came over to Duval in 2018. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about what it is you do as an ex-officio member of the YLD board. Yeah, so I am one of three Fourth Circuit representatives on the Florida Bar Board of Governors Young Lawyers Division. It's myself, uh, I'm an appointed member, and then Ashley Edwards and Valine Hyde are elected members. And our mission is to educate, advocate, and serve the young lawyers in the state of Florida. Um, Essentially, however many lawyers are in your circuit, that's how many governors that you get on the board. So we are responsible for creating all of the educational materials, um, such as practicing with professionalism um, for young lawyers throughout the state. And that's actually something that I'm working on this year, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, We have our first PWP coming up December 8th for new young lawyers. Um, And we're always looking for what Fourth Circuit young lawyers need from us. That's specifically our job here in this circuit is seeing what our young lawyers need and what we can do to help them on a state level. And that gives us an opportunity to advocate for all the wonderful things that our young lawyers do here in the Fourth Circuit on a larger level. So Sarah, we know you're doing uh, right now death penalty defense work for RCC. Um, But what was your path to get there. I know you don't start out day one out of law school doing death penalty cases. No, not at all. So 
Um, I knew that I wanted to do criminal defense right away. I was drawn to criminal law in general. Um, specifically, I just really liked this, the underdog side. I liked being able to um, defend people when they didn't really seem to have anyone in their corner. So I was particularly drawn to criminal defense. Um, in law school, I did the criminal defense clinic with the brilliant Lois Ragsdale, um, who is now with Legal Aid. Um, she helped mentor me and guide me, as well as a local defense attorney named Jerron Newman. Uh, he came and spoke to one of our criminal defense uh, organizations and offered to give me an internship. So I had a lot of good mentors along the way, um, and I was just really drawn to criminal defense itself. So in the criminal defense world, we've, I mean, I've, I sometimes hate to admit it, but I'm a big fan of the television show Cops, and you always <laughs> hear on Cops, the, if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. Sure. And people hear that and think automatically, oh, the public defender, and I mean, we could go hours and hours of what the public defender does or doesn't do and those kind of things, but this Regional Conflict Council is not super new, but it is a little on the newer side, a little newer than Gideon versus Wainwright. Um, so tell us a little bit about what is the Regional Conflict Council and what it does and how that's set up and how it differs from the public defender. Yeah, absolutely. So the Office of Regional Conflict Council is very similar to the Public Defender's Office in the aspect that we do represent indigent individuals who are charged with a crime, um, so they can't afford to hire an attorney, so the court appoints us. We are a little bit different than the Public Defender because we actually have two different groupings of individuals we represent. So you have the criminal attorneys that represent those individuals charged with a crime, and then you also have the civil attorneys, and those are dependency attorneys that represent parents um, when the state is trying to terminate their parental rights. So we're, we are the office of civil regional counsel as well as criminal conflict counsel. So we have two different aspects within our agency. Um, the second main difference, Craig, is that while public defenders and state attorneys are by circuit, RCC is by district. So I work for the office of RC1. Um, so. I handle capital cases on my team from Pensacola all the way to Jacksonville. Um, so we span a much larger area. There are five RCs. So I know here in, we're coming up in, we're right now in this, this episode is being recorded in the summer, uh, early fall of 2022. In January of 23, we're getting a new DCA. Yeah. And the, Jacksonville is moving its DCA from the 1st to the 5th. How does that affect you and your representation of, of folks, and what part of the state will you be covering then? Yeah, that's a really great question. So we will actually remain, our physical office will remain here in Jacksonville. Um, we will continue to be a part of RC1 under Candace Brower. Um, however, we will change our filings to the 5th DCA. So while we'll be filing with the 5th DCA, um, our specific office in Jacksonville will remain under RC1. Uh, which is pretty interesting considering that we'll be part of the 5th DCA, but it made a lot more logistical sense since we were the only office impacted by the redistricting, um, specifically as far as who, what official would take what office. So um, thankfully, we, we were able to work that out. So we will remain under Candace Brower, but we will change our filings to the 5th DCA. So will you continue to take cases, like you talk about you're taking cases from Pensacola to Jacksonville, will you still, will you, Pensacola will still be in your, your area? Yeah, so the whole first DCA region we will continue to represent. How far south will you go in the new DCA? Just Jacksonville, Fourth Circuit, or yes. will you extend into St. John's at all? Yep, yeah, nope, we will stay um, in the first DCA region in the Fourth Circuit, and the Regional Conflict Council in the Fifth will handle cases from St. John's. Okay, 
So basically, take a look at the current map, and that yeah. just stays the same. <laughs> DCA map stays the same, same for all the new. Okay. Right. Um, so being in criminal defense and working your way all the way up to death penalty cases, I am sure you've been involved with numerous cases, yeah. and there are there is story after story after story. Um, what is one or two cases that may have stuck out to you that you'll just probably never forget? Yeah, so my death penalty cases are very, very interesting, but the one I wanted to mention today is actually my very last trial I had before I switched over to the capital team uh, right at the beginning of COVID, which is roughly two years ago now. It feels like it was just yesterday. Um, but my last trial before I came up to the death penalty team, I had a, a young man, he was 23 years old, and he was charged with three life felonies. So if we would have lost on even one count, he would have had the potential to be sentenced to life. Um, the case, you know, there was no guarantee we would win by any means, but his mother was dying of terminal cancer. And um, he wouldn't resolve his case because any additional time in the Department of Corrections would result in him never seeing his mom again. And so even though I advised him that we should strongly consider the state's offer, uh, we rolled the dice and we went to trial on three life felonies and we won. And he actually was able to be with his mother while she took her last breath. And uh, that was very rewarding for me as a criminal defense attorney that, you know, a lot of times you have a client who, <clears throat> excuse me, professes their innocence and, you know, wants to go to trial even if they risk their life. Um, and so to have that, to win that case, um, and to watch him walk out those front doors and be able to be with his mother in, his, in her last moments was, was really gratifying and rewarding. That's very touching, and be able to, be able to provide that to somebody is so important. Yeah. Um, so I know in my house recently also, we've been on a little bit of a law and order kick in our house, <laughs> catching up on some old ones and such, and looking at some old stuff. And you see the... Um, the lack of better terms, the, how much they fight with each other, the prosecution and the defense, it, be it court-appointed or not. Is that how it really is? From my perspective, not at all. I mean, by nature, we are in an adversarial system. Um, you know, we all want to represent our clients to the best of our abilities. Um, but here, specifically, I can speak to Duval. Um, I have a great relationships with my prosecutors. Um, I find that that not only benefits me, but it benefits my clients. Um, it's good to have a great working relationship with the opposing counsel. Um, so I don't believe that's so. I think that's a lot of dramatization for TV to make the show extra fun and exciting in the 30-minute window that you get. Um, but I have not found that to be the case. Of course, um, you're going to go in there. You're going to fight zealously for your client. Um, and the state is going to fight zealously to represent the people of the state of Florida. Um, but as far as professional working relationships, I think that's as for TV, especially when you consider here in Duval. We just have such a good, um, a good group of lawyers here, and we all know that this is business, and you know we're doing our jobs to the best of our ability. But um, you know, not while not crossing that ethical or professional boundaries. I know we talked a little bit too about your involvement in the Florida Bar, and here, of course, especially with the Jacksonville Bar. Why do you think it's important to be involved in your local voluntary bar association? I mean, as a the leadership well, in our local bar here, what, what can you tell folks maybe who are thinking about joining the Jacks Bar that they should know to kind of push them over the edge to join up? <laughs> well, I only laugh because there's like so many reasons it would take hours to probably go through all of them. Um, for me personally, 
it was a couple of things that might not jump out to other people immediately. The first thing for me was actually leadership skills. Uh, bar involvement helped me develop the skills to be a leader that I wasn't able to get elsewhere. Um, so being involved and being able to use my voice um, about things that was really important to me, such as um, government lawyers. Um, you know, when I first started attending uh, bar things, I didn't always see a lot of other government lawyers like myself, uh, a lot of public defenders or state attorneys. And so I knew that that was something that was really important to me. And that was one of the things uh, in my platform that I ran on uh, for the YLD. Um, bar involvement is, gave me those leadership skills, and for that I'm really grateful. Um, secondly, it's personal fulfillment. I've got so many friends, um, you know, gained so many really great friendships through bar involvement. Um, so personal fulfillment, leadership, there's so many different reasons to be involved in the Jacks Bar or any bar affiliate, bar association really. And, you know, talk about things you learn and learning through the bar. What is something you may have learned in the practice of law that you really wish you would have learned in law school where it made your life a little easier? Oh, I think that's easy. I think that in law school, um, and I don't really know how you go about teaching um, bedside manner or you go about teaching that, uh, that empathy and communication skills that you really need um, especially for criminal defense. I mean, I, I guess it would be every practice of law, but specifically for me, I am seeing my clients on their darkest days. Um, and so to be able to empathize with them and sit with them and try to understand where they're coming from. Um, a great lawyer or a great mentor of mine once told me, um, when the client says something to you, don't say, I understand, because you don't. You, don't, you haven't walked in their shoes. You don't know, um, you know what happened in their life, and you will never live their life. So you know, when they tell you something, then you should look at them and say, you know, I'm following you. I'm here with you. I hear what you're saying, and let me see what I can help you, how I can help you. Um, but you know, so I, I've always taken that to heart, and I try not to tell my clients, you know, oh, I understand what you're going through because I don't. Um, but I want to understand. I want to learn where they're coming from and, and try to help them however I can. But yeah, I really wish I would have had some type of course or a little more instruction about client empathy and building the relationships with clients in law school. I think that would have been really beneficial um, after graduation. So I know um, I'm a little bit of a foodie. I, I mean, and we've talked about this a little bit. I have like the five things I like, but I'm still like, I'm yeah. interested in food. Um, and I'm sure you've probably had more than your fair share of lunches in the courthouse cafeteria snack bar. <laughs> yeah. um, but what's some, some cool places you and your family like to go have dinner where you're not, when you're not trying to prep for trial the next day or something, where you guys go out and have a, have a nice meal and enjoy yourselves? Well, my family's kind of spread out. So I actually... When I was thinking about food earlier today, I really think about downtown because this is where I spend most of my time. Um, and so I think I would just harp on the lunch places. We have so many great places to grab lunch here, whether it's a business lunch or a friend lunch or whether if I'm bringing my family downtown. Um, when my family comes in from out of town, I like to take them to Sweet Pete's. I like to show them the murals downtown. I like to show them the Jag Stadium. So I actually do spend a pretty good amount of time downtown, uh, whether it's just me working on a regular day or whether I'm bringing my family here. So, I mean, there's so many good options. Happy Girl Cheese is always my number one go-to. I was saying on my way here, actually, that uh, it was one of the first places that I ever ate lunch when I started working downtown Jacksonville in 2018. Um, 
But Mag's uh, Magnolia Cafe or Spliff's has the best um, macaroni and cheese uh, if you want a heavier lunch, <laughs> the gastro pub. But there's so many great places to, to grab lunch downtown. Yeah, that is true. And it's, I think, growing as we, every day with different sure. restaurants opening, yeah. new ones giving it a shot. Yeah. And there's some, and with the, we talk about this downtown development that we could talk forever about. But and you can't count out the food trucks. The food trucks are always on their A game, whether it's in the park um, or whether I call it food truck row. I'm not sure what it's called, but down by, across yep. from uh, the urban, Jacksonville Urban Food Truck yes. Court. Yes. Um, over here at Hogan Street. Um, yes, thank you. Hogan and Bay. The best. So. Um, so somebody wants to talk to you maybe about how to be more involved in, in the Jacksonville Bar Association, local voluntary bars, or maybe pick your brain some more on the importance, or maybe they have a criminal defense question for you. Absolutely. Um, not for clients, but for uh, maybe other practitioners. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure, absolutely. Anyone feel free to email me anytime or call me. I'm really happy to talk about anything at all, really. Bar involvement, criminal defense, I'm always here and available. Well, thank you, Sarah. We appreciate you coming in. We look forward to seeing everyone on our next episode.